Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, November 19th. We've got a fantastic show for all of you listeners today as I am joined by my friend, Monday Match Analysis host, returning champion here at Cracked Rackets, Gil Gross, to chat about all things related to the 2021 ATP Tour Finals, as well as the evolving situation regarding the safety of former number one doubles player in the world, Grand Slam champion Peng Shui. Of course, the Peng Shui story has transcended tennis media. It's now leading segments in CNN news broadcast. It's leading sections of the New York Times news section of the newspaper, as we are all concerned about the safety, about the whereabouts of the former world number one, and of course, I wanted to ask Gil's thoughts on the story here, his take on how, you know, he views the WTA and China's relationship unfolding from here, his thoughts on where the ATP's relationship with China goes from here as well. It is a fascinating part of the conversation that we start today's podcast with. Again, that's a topic we talk about in depth. In case you want to hear more about the details behind the Peng Shui story, go head over to our Great Shot podcast feed, Tennis.com editorial producer David Kane joined me yesterday to offer the details on the story. But of course, after that, we had to talk about the ATP Tour Finals. It really does feel like a key three may be emerging. Novak Djokovic, Alex Virev, Daniil Medvedev separating themselves from the rest of the field, at least on hard courts in particular this season. I wanted to hear Gil's thoughts if he thinks they've separated from the pack the way that I do. And then, of course, wanted to hear his thoughts on how the rest of the field has performed. I thought Yannick Sinner earning a victory over Hubi Hercots, three sets with Daniil Medvedev, certainly an impressive debut for the 20-year-old Italian. Wanted to know where Gil is on him coming out of the 
2021 season. Inevitably, some tangents come up. We talk a lot of Carlos Alcaraz towards the end of this podcast. And of course, we talk Andre Rublev, all of the guys you've seen compete this week in Turin. We try to touch on them all here on today's show. That's why you see the length of this episode being what it is. But again, always a pleasure to have Gil on the show today. Was no exception, of course. It's a really busy Friday, content-wise, for us here at Crack Rackets. Our College Contender Series carries on. We're breaking down our top 10 men's and women's teams heading into the 2022 dual match season. If you missed any of our coverage of number 10 Ohio State women, the number 10 Kentucky men, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, here on Friday, we're breaking down our number nine teams. And for the women, that's Texas A&M. For the men, that's Arizona. You can hear John Parsons and I break down the Texas A&M women, Matt Stokoya, Chris Hallius, Oris, and I break down the Arizona men on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear my conversations with Texas A&M head coach Mark Weaver, Arizona head coach Clancy Shields over on the Cracked Interviews podcast. You can read about them on the website, crackrackets.com. Learn more about them on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well as, again, we try to paint the complete picture for all of you listeners. It's almost off-season time, but before you know it, the 2022 season will be upon us. So if you missed any of the content, you need to catch up. You're already starting to prepare for 2022. You can do so on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, on this podcast in particular, quick shout out to all of you listeners, to our Patreon family, without whom none of this would be possible. And then, of course, a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal, so I'll be brief. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get to it. Loaded mini break episode with the one and only Gil Gross. Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you may know him as the host of Monday Match Analysis, a host of three, a tennis show, one of the many roamers throughout the day on Tennis Channel. Of course, my eyebrowed nemesis and friend, Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the program. How are you doing today? It's great to be back on. Uh, I know we've booked mutual guests today. That always upsets me, uh, but... <laughs> But I'm over it. Yeah, that's good. I figured, all right, I'm going to book David. He's going to book David. I might as well book him. That way we can all talk shit about each (laughs) other to one another. And that way it really matriculates through the circle. Yeah, when I – he texts me and he goes, oh, I'm going on Gil's show. And I go, of course. Like, Gil's got another thing. But just to throw some trash talk back at David to make sure everyone's feeling a little pain here, I want to be clear. He was not my first guest choice. We had a cancellation. And so I thankfully, God, you have to love David Kane, who will ne- he will always be willing. I was going to say never says no. That sounds like a rude thing. Always willing, I should say, to come on, give the hour and a half necessary whenever you agree to a Crack Rackets podcast. And I'm eternally grateful. But let's be clear, not exactly a first choice. That's That stinks. I got to <laughs> say, I mean, 
Man, you, you you might want to keep that to when I'm not the first choice. I mean, don't be going going out there. Well, with, let's be clear. That. You were number three on this list. Now it was yeah. you know that's what I'm really trying to tell. emphasize here. I could I could tell based on the scheduling. It was like okay, I have this then, I have this then. You, you'll figure it out. I can tell. Yeah, for the record, none of that's true. But don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Uh, obviously, the, you had David to talk about the WTA finals. I had David to talk about the WTA finals and Peng Shui to you know really fill the Venn diagram I do want to get your two uh, cents on all things Peng Shui because you know I, I saw your piece you did for Monday match analysis and obviously this is the story right now in tennis before you can talk about any of the tennis and you know again we went into the details you can hear David and my conversation over on the Great Shot podcast feed but um, you know you talked about an example you gave, an example we gave as well. I think it's the most clear exa- cut example is the NBA's confrontation uh, with China. And, you know, I, I think there's that component, obviously, in the business relationship is probably the closest parallel, although the money the NBA works with is, you know, a full zero, maybe even two zeros more before the decimal place than what the WTA is working with. It affects their bottom line, thus a little bit more. Uh, the other thing is I also wanted to work in the Enos Cantor comparison because obviously the difference between Enos Cantor and Peng Shui being Enos Cantor plays in America and you know the NBA is played in America. It's not played in Turkey. Therefore, he doesn't have to go back to his home country to continue to be a professional athlete. For Peng Shui, she made these comments while in China and it's just – I mean it's just horrifying. Like again – where we're at, where I'm at, it's just like we need to see her. We need to hear from her, and it needs to be on camera, and it needs to be immediately. Yeah, uh, the concern just builds as this continues, and and we don't hear from her. Uh, that that's that's certainly the case with the NBA. You know, it's not it's not apples to apples. It's a little bit different, but. At the same time, if you put Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA's statement, next to Steve Simon's statement, you can have your choice. There's been about three of them now. Hmm. Drastically different. And the WTA drastically tougher. Obviously, uh, a free Hong Kong tweet is a little bit different than a human being missing uh, after after making the allegation, right? So so there's there's your, your difference in the situation. With Enos Cantor, what's striking to me is Enos Cantor has, again, just simple political speech, the kind of thing that in the United States is absolutely normal. And China has legitimately sanctioned the NBA for something that Enos Cantor says, just one player in the league. Again, the WTA has surpassed that Enos Cantor threshold by but you know by such a margin that not only if is, is Steve Simon saying I am willing to cut off business relationships in China and it it you know I will sacrifice the dollars to do the right thing not only is Steve Simon saying that but if I were to guess China's probably there also at this point and I don't I don't know that for a fact because I don't think anyone's really stood up to them in the sports world at least to this extent but they will not take kindly to it. Now they have invested billions of dollars as well, right? This is a transaction. Their money is spent. The WTA's money is received. That's how this has worked. So it's a two-way street here. Neither side would have wanted this from like a strictly material standpoint, 
But I think both sides, I, look, this is untenable right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious to see what the WTA's next move is. Uh, I, I wonder if it would be best for them to get ahead of it and to, you know, announce the scheduling changes that seem inevitable um, next year that, that they, that the China ties will be severed. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I'm also left a little bit hopeless when it comes to, you know, what if that doesn't work? You know, is there a next step? And I'm not sure there is from the WTA standpoint, but I am, I guess, proud of, of the tennis community for raising the visibility here because, um, I mean, just, just, uh, a couple, about an hour ago, I don't watch cable news, but my father does. He was watching uh, CNN, and um, they started talking about this whole Peng Shui ordeal. And, um, you know, it, it really has penetrated the mainstream, but it starts with the tennis community elevating it to that point. Yeah, uh, there's so much there. Obviously, agree with everything you said. I talked about this with David, but it's worth repeating now. The last two years, the WTA has functioned as a business model without events in China. And now the investment China had made in the WTA moving forward, that was obviously money the tournament and tour were counting on. And it's not just the initial $15 million prize pot at the year-end finals in 2019. And, you know, it's worth mentioning, Muguruza wins $1.1 million, I think, for winning this year in Guadalajara in 2019. Ashley Barty won five. That is a tangible drop off what that you lose by withdrawing from China that said you know again it's so fascinating because the past decade dating back to Lina's grand slam breakthrough all the way through now breaking into the asian market is something tennis has been trying to do in both the men's and women's side and obviously the rise of Naomi Osaka you know so much excitement was felt tangibly right away simply because, again, she is Japanese, and that's just an entire another section of the world that hasn't tuned into tennis at the rate other parts of the world have. And, you know, now, you know, again, even a month ago, what was one of the bright spots for Emma Raducanu? She's fluent in Chinese, and just, you know, the connection between her and the Chinese fan base was something that was already being speculated upon. And now, how does any player feel comfortable? traveling to China to play an event. And I know they've got the Winter Olympics coming up in February. How can any athlete feel comfortable? Because, you know, A, whether they let press or not, that is going to be a fascinating thing to monitor. But if they do let any sort of Western press, the very first question, and honestly non-Western press probably asked this as well, is do you have comments on the human alleged human rights violations by the Chinese government? And how comfortable are you competing after what you've seen with the Chinese government do to a fellow athlete in Peng Shui? I mean, that's the obvious first question. Anyone will ask it if given the opportunity. And it's just, again, to your point, who'd have thought of all the leaders in the world, it would be Steve Simon in the WTA to be the first to confront China on this. And you're right. It was an extreme in that an actual human being has gone missing. And that's obviously on the scale of unacceptability. That's at the top. That's number one. But Steve Simon in the WTA did not flinch. And they deserve credit for that fact because, again, more a greater organization in the NBA, which has hundreds of millions of assets and billions in generated revenue, and just again they're playing checkers or chess while we're playing checkers, they flinched. They absolutely flinched in regards to Daryl Morey in Hong Kong. Steve Simon did not hesitate for a moment. 
We've seen two big Nike athletes in Serena and Osaka speak out openly to Peng Shui, speaking how, you know, again, their brands transcend Nike in this instance, and they are the storyline here. I, I, it's just in what is the worst possible situation, that is a silver lining. And, you know, again, it's a sport built upon the legacy of Billie Jean King. This is living up to Billie Jean King's legacy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and maybe Martina Navratilova's <laughs> as well, yes. as such a big part of her story. And I don't know if that would have popped into my head. So credit where credit is due to Ben Rothenberg, um, who, who made that connection on Twitter um, about... By the way, uh, Ben Rothenberg, the originally planned guest who canceled out of me three times, <laughs> three times. Yeah. It, does he have too much? Is there too much Big J going on? Uh, oh, with, with... Alex, I got to do television hits. I was like, get out of here. <laughs> television. I was like, you have a face for podcasting, my friend. Get back on the show. Like, what are you talking about? No, I, I mean, yeah, to your point, though, it also has trans. I didn't mean to cut you off. It is broke through the mainstream media cnn you know jake tapper's doing lead segment the lead segments on it and you know new york times it's in the news section not the sports section and just that matters that matters and it sucks that this is what it takes for tennis to break through the mainstream consciousness um but this story to your point absolutely has yeah it'll be interesting to see also what the legacy of it is now now some of that will have to do with uh peng shui's health and and well-being um, and, and her safety, but we are approaching the Olympics and this is a hundred percent going to be the first domino to fall, uh, which will, you know, kind of trigger <laughs> what's in all likelihood going to be an Olympics that has a lot of political stuff surrounding it in terms of China's regime, just, just from everything going on, uh, from, from my understanding, from the growing me too movement there, to the Hong Kong uh, mm-hmm. independence situation. Um, Taiwan and, is another one. Taiwan, all yeah, of it. That, no, you're absolutely right. It is going to be a political event. And, you know, maybe you'll start watching the news as such. you got to be educated. Come on, you're an adult. No, I, I don't watch cable. That's uh, not – I can still get information. I don't need to watch no, cable. No, you're wrong. Cable's Ever- like the – are you kidding? Cable's the first take. Of, of news, okay, right? But can I give you uh, – I guess you don't go daily. There's only one way to learn how to segment a, a D-block, and that's by watching the Thursday, October 12th <laughs> D-block on CNN, and you're like, oh, okay. Like we, it's okay to get desperate at minute number 45 when you're trying to grab a lot for people's attention. Um, but no, I guess my question to you, and again, because we come from a similar generation where very much, you know, again, the – I don't want to say everything is political, but you follow a brand's – I don't want to say politics, but their policies. You want brands that are supporting and have the values that you have as a consumer. I think that's been one of the you know developments of the 2010s and 2020s here, and we don't have to get too deep into that. But you know, if the WTA severs the connection with China, what are your policies if the ATP continues to play there? Is that something as a fan that turns you off? And is that something, again, because the finances aren't exactly intertwined, the investments China's made in the WTA is not exactly duplicated, although, of course, Beijing, Shanghai, both major events held in China. Does the ATP, uh, do they sever connections? Uh, where are, you know, I, I know the reporting is very, very early stages on sure. that topic, but as a fan, do you want them to sever connections? I think it would be a horrible look if the WTA 
pulled their events and the ATP kept theirs. Yeah. I just don't think that that would be, I don't think that would be acceptable. I guess I have, and, and I don't know if it's uh, a, a romantic vision in my head of, of Tennis United that doesn't actually exist, <laughs> but what the WTA is doing is important and is standing up to not just Peng Shui as an individual, but certain things about ideology and and censorship, uh, a certain belief system that look, I, I don't want. It's hard because you want to be accepting of people who come from from different viewpoints, but at the same time, you know, there's is is it the masses or is it a totalitarian government? And I think that's that's a very different thing. Um, I think all all cultures and and outlooks need to be respected when it comes to people. But I don't think that all regimes deserve the same acceptance and tolerance. So so the WTA doing something important here, something as Steve Simon just put on CNN about an hour ago, is bigger than business. If they do that and the ATP is it able to follow? Uh, it would look terrible, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And don't worry, I'm going to have Westoff quack out the two words. But it's amazing that you're saying all of this with your on. <laughs> like, I'm pretty impressed with you. Okay? <laughs> 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 uh, but, I mean, yeah, I, I echo every sentiment. And the reason I wanted to ask is because, again, I do wonder if culturally younger fans think about these sorts of things and – Given what the ATP is going on with the Zverev investigation and the lack of candor and the lack of transparency in that, I mean, there's a reason you haven't started hearing links. And I'm sure Andre Gaudenzi is locked in the office right now with the team saying, what are we going to do about this? And it's absolutely a storyline to monitor, of course. This is the storyline in tennis, transcending all all and any results on the court until it comes to a resolution. But with all that said... That is not why I wanted to have you on the show today, although I do always appreciate your candor. The reason I wanted to have you on is because I want to talk ATP Tour Finals with you. Obviously, last major event on the ATP Tour calendar of 2021, and I mean, feels like it's been 16 months straight. Obviously, when you look at just the amount of tennis that's been played, and yeah, we had a couple weeks off at the end of last year, but things got rocking and rolling once again, and all of us were so excited to have tennis back in our lives, and none of us have taken a pause here throughout the course of this season. With that said, you know, again, field is starting to take shape. We know uh, three of the four semifinalists, and with that said, my first question to you because, you know, I read your YouTube comments whenever I come on your show, and you were kind enough to have me on Monday Match Analysis last week to preview this event. And, you know, uh, one of the comments says, you, yeah, I always appreciate when someone's like, you guys should do a weekly show together. And I'm always like, yeah, believe me, if Gil could tolerate me that frequently, we would. Like, trust <laughs> me. Um, but uh, the question I have for you, if we're going to do a weekly show, should we call it three with a question mark at the end, and have the topic just be Djokovic, Medvedev, and Zverev, who increased their <laughs> semifinal spot? Like, is that the move here? Or do we have a key three emerging? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> how the heck am I supposed to answer? I don't know what, what how to attack that question. Um, that Which is, is, wouldn't it be great if on your resume it was like host of three and then host of three? 
And it just <laughs> <laughs> Ken Solomon's like, book him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. At three? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think the I think the bar is needs to be a little bit higher, uh, and I just hope that we don't do what's happened in the NBA. I think is uh, everybody needs a big three, mm-hmm. and tennis was first. Okay, so let's just establish <laughs> that. Okay, the NBA, the Miami Heat were not the first big three. Yeah. It was Pacho Gonzalez, Rod Laver, and Bill Tilden. <laughs> That's the first big three, okay? Exactly. And <laughs> LeBron opened up Steve Flink's book of greatest <laughs> tennis matches of all time, figured out what was up. He and read it went Pete Bono's 1977 column, and he was like, this is fantastic. And that's, that's how Wade, Bosch, and LeBron ended up in Miami. <laughs> on, a, on a hard court? You got to look at 2021 and you start to realize like, oh, this has been the same tournament over and over again, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. You you look at Djokovic and Zverev. They play in Australia. They play at the Olympics. They play at the U.S. Open. They will play in the semifinals of the tour finals. Okay, we're getting that matchup every single time. You look at Djokovic and Medvedev. They play in Australia. They play in New York. And let's see if they play here. Hello. Uh, on hard courts, yeah, it's it's them and everyone else. And that has to do with Rafael Nadal's health. Always more suspect on a hard court, usually healthy during clay court season. Uh, you know, I, I think when he has played on hard courts, I think his win percentages have been uh, still excellent. And he continues to make deep runs into those tournaments. Wasn't 100% in Australia either. Let's not forget uh, that that he had that back injury in the lead up to to that event. And I think that affected him. Uh, so so Rafa, it's been a matter of health. With Pass, there's still some fast court work to do, some holes in his game. And as a result, you do have the Djokovic, Medvedev, and Zverev triad, tier one, don't say big three. They're not there yet. <laughs> but yes, you do have that. Well, I didn't say big three. I just said three. Oh, you um, just said three. Yeah, and key three is what I go with. And, you know, again, to look at the guys and just the results they've put together this season, and we'll get to Djokovic overall, but 50 and six overall. <laughs> just like a casual 89% win percentage at age 34. It's a joke. It's, I mean, Pretty much by the metrics, this was the third best year of his career, minus you know 2015 and 2011. By every other metric you look at, this is number three. But he's 25 and three, and I'm going to say 25 and two in hard court matches because I don't care. And yeah, he cared, but he didn't really care about that bronze medal match. And you know the two losses: Medvedev in New York, Zverev in Tokyo. That's it. You look for Alex Zverev here this season, who, again, you know, across fourth round of every Grand Slam he played this year, 56 and 15 overall. You look for him, hardcore specifically, 38 and 9. And who are the losses to? Djokovic, Medvedev, Djokovic, Bublik, whatever. That was the one exception. Rotterdam indoors kind of was. That's the one blemish. Rusevori, Miami's a schedule loss because he had just played Acapulco and won it. Then it's Djokovic, Medvedev, Medvedev, and Fritz 7-6 in the third, which, like, again, I don't think that's a bad loss. Context-wise, it wasn't a great loss, but 
where's the bad loss on that? You look for Daniil Medvedev, so many matches played, 38-9, and nine, I guess, you know, or excuse me, not 38-9 and nine for Medvedev, but 44-7. and seven. You know, Dimitrov, Indian Wells is his Fritz loss. Karina Busta, Tokyo, or, you know, Roberto Bautista, Gut aren't great, but Dusan Lajevic is his Sasha Bublik, literally. They both took bad losses at Rotterdam. You take Rotterdam out of the equation, I mean, they were just better than everyone else. You're right, like, on the hard courts. But why I think it's a key three in general, uh, when it mattered most, again, Wimbledon, Medvedev was there at the end. Zverev was there second week, and we still just— those guys are not the grass court players they're going to be when they finally get— three full grass court seasons, full four full grass court seasons under their belt. And then the French Open, Zverev probably should have won that semifinal against Tsitsipas. You know, again, he was right there in the fifth set. And Medvedev, to make the quarterfinals, he was right there as well. He essentially held seed before losing to Tsitsipas. Those guys showed a level of consistency all year long of not just top 10. They were, you know, top five guys from start to finish. There's a reason, you know, right now, ELO ratings via our friends at Tennis Abstract. It's, you know, Djokovic won, Medvedev 2, Zverev 3 overall, and Djokovic won, Zverev 2, Medvedev 3, 2021 specifically. It was those three, then everyone else. I do think there (laughs) is a fairness to be had with Tsitsipas where we probably look at the back end of 2021. And I don't know if it would necessarily be wrong to throw it in the garbage and to not take into account at all when we talk about him as a player. Now, you know, part of me, part of me is frustrated that the weaknesses just remain weaknesses. I, I really don't see some of these things getting better. The other part of me thinks you have an incredible clay court season. Tsitsipas, I, I believe at the time after Roland Garros, is the ATP wins leader on tour has a tragedy in his family doesn't prepare for wimbledon loses first round with someone playing great on grass his only first round loss by the way yep then he has this foot injury that hampers him throughout the summer leading up to the u.s open seemed to be an issue at the u.s open itself and then has an elbow injury which now he's claimed Dates back a couple of weeks, definitely affected him at Indian Wells. It was a weird match against Basilashvili where he just wasn't really attacking. So you just look at the second half of the year and it's like, okay, you just need an off season and start from scratch. And it's easy to forget that just if you if you look at where he was at after Roland Garros, he was he was the second best player in the world after Djokovic at that point. A lot of it has to do with Clay, but I do think that some fairness should be paid to Tsitsipas. See, I don't think he was the second best player in the world at that point. I still think in that moment, Zverev's right there with him, just given the totality of the first half of the season, their results, you know, again, in in not just Australia and Roland Garros, but everything in between. Zverev won a Masters event on the clay as well. And, you know, again, he was up breaks in three out of the four sets. I feel like I'm always the Zverev defender. And obviously, from a tennis standpoint, I do believe he's got the game to be the guy moving forward. I will always, whenever we bring up Zverev, go read Ben Rothenberg's piece on the alleged, uh, alleged physical and emotional abuse endured by his ex-girlfriend, Alia Sharipova. But I just, like, I, I don't think, again, I don't think there was ever a point in the season where Tsitsipas was definitively better than Zverev. Because even in making the French Open final, it was five sets in the semis. Like, Tsitsipas didn't dramatically outplay him in that match. And so, 
you know, even in that moment, I thought he was right there. And then obviously Daniel Medvedev on a hard court is just a different level. And, you know, he wins the U.S. Open. He now has that slam under his belt. So I think that's why he's in that group as well. But, I mean, look, you, you, you turn towards the various metrics. There are four players who finished the season top 11 in both hold and break percentage. Can you name those four players? Novak Djokovic, Alexander Zverev, Daniil Medvedev. And? And I'm looking for a fourth here. Give me your fourth. Yeah, there's one more. Okay. He was hmm. the Djokovic of Interesting. the 250s. Oh, Kasper Ruud. Kasper Ruud, exactly. There you because go. of just the dominance he had at that level. And like that group makes sense. It, it really does. Because, again, that matches what I saw with my eyes as well. And, of course, having such a hardcore slanted schedule is going to help those guys. But, like... Does anything there not check out? Again, let me be let me be Tsitsipas defender in this conversation. I like it. He has a winning record against Daniil Medvedev career-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, Zverev. 6-3, which is not, you know, we're not talking about a 5-4. Uh, I mean, so I, I'm not saying that makes him better. There are matchup things, and, and tennis doesn't work like that. But to say there's kind of a, a, a tier there, a separation between Tsitsipas and Zverev, I don't know that that's fair. Full body of work. Um, you know, Tsitsipas has now reached his major final. So Zverev's been in one. Tsitsipas has been in one. That matters to me that they've kind of both done that now. It was Tsitsipas was kind of the odd man out in, in that club. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the one thing that Zverev does have is a best-of-three set resume that is pristine. Uh, So good against top 10 players, so many key victories, even key victories against Novak Djokovic uh, over the course of his career. All three wins that he's had against Novak have been at at big events, 1,000 or or Olympics um, or tour finals. Mm -hmm. So... In that sense, Tsitsipas is not as accomplished. But other than that, I, I really do think that that Tsitsipas is right there with Medvedev on, and Zverev, especially if you're just going to bring Clay into the picture. Sure. Yeah, I, fair, fair. And again, I think heading into 2022, it's not disputable that those three guys, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev, they are the key three of that next generation. And obviously Sinner's coming. Alcaraz is coming. I don't know if we can deny them a spot on that list any longer. But, you know, as we look at these guys, I suppose just to round out the argument here, it's how routine Zverev made, you know, his 2-4 win look over Hubi and, you know, his ability to pull out that first set even against the Berrettini not playing with a full deck. Similarly, even when pushed against Sinner, even when pushed against Hercots, even when on the brink against Alex Zverev, Medvedev managed to get the job done. These guys are getting better as front runners, and I do think what we saw over these first couple of days here in Turin is a testament to that fact. And like, again, you want people want to say Medvedev's won what the last five against Zverev? It was seven six in the third. Like, I know the match was ugly, and maybe that's what we're going to have to get used to at least for the first few years of these guys at the top of the sport. But isn't that what it's all about? Like, that was there was there was an edge to both guys. It's a rivalry now. Like, there are there are stakes on the line. And I actually think Zverev and Medvedev like each other a little bit more than they let on. Like, after a bad loss, Zverev's usually quick to the handshake. He actually paused and gave Medvedev the little chest beat. And I do think that is actually just a relevant thing to note is there's actually some affection between these two now. At the same time, 
there is an on-court hate. I think Zverev has identified Medvedev. I don't think Zverev fears Tsitsipas. I just think there's something about that matchup. He's just not, you know, he's won that matchup a billion times in his life, even though the career had to head, as you mentioned, slanted towards Tsitsipas. I do think Zverev has identified Medvedev as the one to be like, who is my immediate blockage to a path to a Grand Slam? Yeah, of course, it's still Novak, but I think Zverev now has identified it's Medvedev as well. And I just, I really like, I'm perhaps I'm projecting here, I really like that rivalry. Like, I'd be fine if that's our final instead of another Medvedev-Djokovic battle. They remind me of each other. Exactly. And I, I don't know if I like that, honestly. Well, how you know, frequently, rather... though, is it like they're both a little bit tentative from the baseline, it's 15-30, and then they fire three aces? Well, like, that, well, the, that was, that's well, that was the difference. Well, yeah. let's talk about what happened then in, in, their, in their last match. I would say Zverev throughout the match had an appropriate level of aggression. Mm-hmm. Uh, he served incredibly well. No surprise that on a court as fast as Turin and the way those two men serve – that it's a tight margin match and it goes to that third set tiebreak. They played a tiebreak in the second set as well. Um, and in the first set, it was the, the break of serve was in the second game. So there's really nothing between them. But in that third set tiebreak, Medvedev did this very Medvedev-like thing where he was like, okay, I'm actually going to change what I'm doing out here now uh, because I know Zverev's going to be passive here. I know Alexander, uh, when the when the pressure is truly on, he's not going to take risks. And I'm going to take advantage of that by really taking initiative on every point. And we're talking about a lightning quick surface here. Besides the serve and volleys, which were stupid and dumb. And, and he knows that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you do that to keep it in Zero's head. Like, that's why he did it. Is it just yeah. like, I am throwing this at you? I guess so. It's just it's a second serve. Like yeah, it's that's not a, a good. Point. It's a bailout. Yeah, exactly. Other than that, Medvedev was had the winning mentality then because he was like, I'm gonna let's go, I'm gonna either lose by missing or I'm gonna win by by making these shots, but I'm gonna go for it. I I think the Zvira forehand has surpassed the Medvedev forehand, and I you know again I actually think every individual component of the Zvira game is probably just a hair better than Medvedev's. I disagree except... with you on the backhand side. Actually, I actually like Medvedev's. Oh, that could start a war here. I just when, the ways Zvira... I saw your list. That that's why I know. Yeah, no, and Korda does it too. By the way, where there's just a way he and Zvira pull the backhand with their body, and you're just like, that's how it's supposed to look. Dude, I get it. it it's prettier. <laughs> Yeah, and when he connects on it down the line, I just think it's a little bit bigger. But to your point, in the biggest moment, Zverev doesn't find that. Like, Zverev will not be at 100%. He'll be at 81%. Daniil Medvedev said, again, for lack of a better term, I'm unloading on this inside-in forehand. Like, I'm just going to go big here, and I'm going to try and slap down the line and follow it in. And because I know you're tentative, I'm going to get an easy first volley to put away. And it worked. And to your point, that's the difference is he could make an adjustment in that moment. And in those moments, Zverev always seems incapable. Yeah, and and how about this, right? We all kind of agree, I I think— that Medvedev is tricky for Djokovic. Yeah, and I don't, you know, it does, I don't care what happened in Australia. It's tricky. Uh, it's a close head-to-head. Zverev should be the same. Yeah, he he, he simply should. And in best of five, he's oh and three against Novak. The the career head-to-head, and yes, the the wins by Zverev, as I mentioned, they, they're big matches that he's beaten Novak in. So credit to him for that. But 
it's 7-3 Novak. That head-to-head should look more like Medvedev. To me, the only the only reason why Djokovic does better in that matchup is because he's so much better at managing the nerves. He's just He just has his game under pressure. Uh, it's just the head because Zverev should be great at playing Novak. See, I think he is, and I think he and Medvedev have matched the physical component, but to your point, you, you hit it spot on. Why does Medvedev win where Zverev will not is because unless Zverev is landing first serves as he was at the Olympics, and when that first serve lands, it's just a different ball game for him. Um, it's just he will get tentative from the baseline because he's that his most natural comfort zone is six feet back behind there playing as the grinder he grew up before he was six foot six. And, you know, again, he's able to do it is the crazy part. But I think it's just, again, he and Medvedev can play Djokovic even on the backhand wing. Like, it's crazy that they both are capable of doing it, and they're on that level physically. But you're right, that's the difference between Zverev and the other two, is at 6-all in the tiebreak, you know it's big first serve, or I'm just pushing and hope you give me an error. And that is not the obviously not the case for Novak, obviously. But it's also not the case for Daniil. Uh, you've, you've swayed me here. You're right. He That was the difference in that breakers. He was at least willing to miss. And it's just like, I may lose, but I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a head thing with, with Zverev. And Medvedev has such an interesting mental. There are, there are still issues. I mean, today was shameful. I mean, today was a <laughs> yeah. terrible mental match. Uh, he still won. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I watched, but He's I watched so the funny. Match. I just like I don't get it. It's just like it. Where's it? It's just like anytime they cheer for an opponent. And by the way, your best tweet of the week, because you know that's what I do here, is I assign best tweets of the week. Was one hundred percent when you're like, oh, I wonder where Sinner learned how to engage the crowd from. It's like, yeah, like <laughs> you think he saw that? It was like, huh. And it's also like kind of watching a a turtle. Like a, well, I've never seen a turtle actually first get out of its shell, but I'm just from the people who make this analogy. I'm going to take their word for it. That sinner right now, where he kind of cheers on the crowd. He's like, "Did I did I do that right? Like, I, I, I hope so." And you can just see like there's a little bit of level of or for Tiafo, like he gets that grin on his face where you know what he's about to do and you're just like all right francis let it rip or you know sinner there's a little bit more doubt in his in his uh in his mind but like yeah it's i don't get what method sometimes it's just like i get he's trying to motivate himself and it is whatever but you know tennis players are just crazy like they really just again you grow up talking to yourself for three hours a day every time you're playing a match like that it's gonna drive you insane sometimes you're just like daniel man like you are insane (laughs) yeah uh, i don't know what got into him today like i guess the dead rubber thing probably didn't help keep him focused but i just don't understand how is he how is he stepping into that match not knowing that his unforced errors are going to get cheered. Yeah. Like, you just have to understand it's that that's going to happen. Exactly. And, and the weird part about it is, in, in a way, I think Medvedev absolutely loves being the heel, being yeah. the villain. But then when he's the villain that's losing, uh, he does not handle it well. <laughs> it's only like... That first set, I'm like, this is this is lethal and cold-blooded because this Italian crowd really wants to make a lot of f***ing noise, yeah. and they just can't because you're <laughs> winning every point. I mean, Medvedev wins every point in that first set, seemingly, and it, it was like, 
at that point you're just like this guy this guy is ice in his veins and like he doesn't he loves this he starts but slapping then, winners in the breaker yeah but but then he he starts he starts panicking and like basically loses his patience is what he does like that's the tell is when he's just like oh rally tolerance never heard of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he gets a little red and like you can tell it's so funny because he's so good as a counter puncher but again if you if you slow things down against him and you get him frustrated he will start forcing things and he will as you mentioned lose that patience which goes full circle here why like when Zverev figures it out and gets that first win back on the board, I think this match, we're back to 50-50. Because it's just like, doesn't Zverev have that sort of patience to bring out the frustrated, trolling Medvedev who just gets angry at himself and is like, you know what, I'm done with these long rallies. I'm just going to start slapping things and throwing in drop shots and seeing how it goes. Like, that that essentially happened at the start of the third set in Paris. Just, you know, Zverev wasn't able to capitalize. The problem is usually it's external. Yeah. I don't see him go there because because of his opponent normally. Sure. Like usually it's like I ran into a camera. I hate everything. <laughs> like it, it's half the time that's what it is. We're at the US Open against team. I mean that's yeah. that's a huge match. I'll never forget. I mean he totally let the uh, the the call rattle him there mm-hmm. uh f- for for no reason. I mean th- these things happen or uh, I think maybe you can you can get to him um, or, or he can get to himself um, in certain ways, but it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no. usually external, right? Yeah, no, for sure. He lets the crowd get under his skin. And by the way, it's it's been so interesting to see which crowds like these crowds are clearly not part of tennis Twitter because there's a lot of Zvira of love. It just inevitably happens where they will, you know, again, support him because there are times on a tennis court where you're like, yeah, I want to cheer for that. Like that backhand down the line was ridiculous. Um, And that was part of the other thing is after that second set because all this Tureen crowd wants is three sets. That's all they want more than anything else. And they got behind Zvira in set number two. And that did start to tick him off. You're right. And today in the Sinner match, you're absolutely right. Sinner unleashing the roar at the end of the second set. That definitely started to tick Medvedev off. And just it's it's so fascinating because – go ahead. I was just say, by the way, your your point about the forehand being better on this Zverev side, I think that's Djokovic's biggest advantage, especially yes. when the court's slow. And and you're right, from a technical standpoint, that should be where Zverev finds an advantage. It's just yeah. a matter of actually doing it for him. Well, I think the shape on that shot has gotten better. The return has gotten better on that wing as well. And I think, honest to God, I know this is hot take here. Pause for this analysis, folks. Cut the clips. Send it widely. It's really whoever serves better. Like, if you make more first serves in that matchup, you're going to win it because it's two six six guys who can do a little bit of everything, and when you've got the aces going your way, I would like to see, as the person who hit more aces, got more free points off the first serve, won all of their encounters. Jeff Sackman, if you're listening to this, get on the case, report back to us. But, you now again, it's, it's fascinating. I, I do think, you know, again, those three guys, they've clinched. And we haven't talked about Djokovic. <clears throat> we can just do this quickly. And again, from a metric standpoint, everything's third. Hold percentage is third highest. Break percentage is third highest. And just, you know, first serve win percentage might actually be at its highest period. He's incorporated serve and volley. 
After literally looking a step and a half slow against Martin Fucevic in Paris, he's just been dusting people. And you look at the results he's put forward thus far, straight set wins over Kasper Ruud, Andre Rublev, two clinched the top spot in group in his Djokovic group. By the way, people were complaining that they called it, what, green group and red group? It's better than freaking Sampras and Lendl again. Like, at least we got a little bit more creative. Like, they were like, let's do colors. And they're like, yeah. Well, it was, it was last year it was Tokyo and London. <laughs> and that was weird because yeah. of the events in London. No, it's – yeah, if they really wanted to troll, they should have done Roger and Rafa. Like, that would have been <laughs> the troll of trolls or something like that. Um, Look, yeah. just, just go A and B. Uh, cut, cut it out. Oh, no. I would just do names that get under the most players' skins. Like, I, again, what is the what? portion of the year? Like, again, double down on it. This is the this is the clay quarters, and you put it in Rude, and you put in Tsitsipas, and you put in all the guys with the big clay court success, and then these are the, the Kyrgios' favorites, and that's group number two, and it's all the guys with the hard court push. I don't know. Just why not? Like, why not get creative? This is – you're coming, talking to a guy who wants to get rid of the coin toss in college tennis and have the head coaches play one point to decide everything so i just like you know again why not get creative there uh but i mean Djokovic, Djokovic speaking of creative has not needed to get creative he's just been excellent down the home stretch and i mean i don't want to say where is this coming from but i guess the hot take here is is Djokovic's loss to medvedev secretly the best thing that could have happened to him more after this commercial break um i do think for Djokovic. It might have been because it's just like if you win the calendar slam, what's left to do? And with that loss, it's like, you know what? There might be another. He can convince himself that there's now doubt and people who don't think he can do it again. And not that anyone actually thinks that. But was the loss good for him? Yeah, man. Great point. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it keeps the fire burning. Yeah. There are and, and there there are real questions about that. Like once once he breaks every record. Is he going to keep the fire burning? Mm-hmm. Uh, that That is going to be a legitimate thing. There's no doubt about that. And for now, it's still 20, 20, 20. There's still work to be done. I think it's easy to forget. He came into 2020 thinking this is Olympic year. Uh, this is the year I equal Federer and Nadal in the slam count. This is the year. He didn't lose. Yeah. <laughs> Until we we hit March, the pandemic caused everything, and and he was undefeated. The pandemic completely derailed his year because when he came back, there were legitimate criticisms that were fair criticisms about his play. He his cardio didn't look good. His shot tolerance just wasn't the same. Rally tolerance wasn't the same. Uh, and, and as a result, he was kind of bailing out of rallies, hitting a ton of drop shots. He just wasn't right. The reset come into 2021, have the year that he's had, winning the first three majors and and everything that he's accomplished. You got to kind of look at it as uh, we kind of got a sneak peek of what can happen if you like mess with the Djokovic motivation because the Olympics got canceled. Mm -hmm. And I think it took a a lot of wind out of his sails. Mm -hmm. And, And that's where we saw the blip in the last two years for Djokovic. So right now, you know, he had that Olympic year There's this year, and I think we saw the same thing. It drove him. The scheduling was very unfortunate for him, and it didn't end up working out, but I think that drove him a lot. And and now, it again, he's in a place where he continues to pursue these records. He continues to be 
in a great position to be the favorite to achieve his goals. And as long as that's the case, he will be the favorite everywhere he goes, pretty much. Yeah, unless he loses half a step suddenly, unless that hamstring says no more sliding on me like that, he is your favorite. And, you know, by the way, that was a pretty good pilot episode of three. Like, that was a pretty good first 20 minutes. I'm just saying. There's something there. Um, But, no, to, <laughs> I I agree. It's just like, again, the next evolution, Servan volleying Djokovic is here. He's a comfortable volleyer now and just – not that he's ever not been comfortable, but he's in a, he's a good – excuse me, not a comfortable. He's a good volleyer now. And just, you know, that was not always the case. And just his willingness to identify when I get them on the stretch slice, I'm moving forward now. I'm ending the point a little bit shorter. And just his willingness to do that against Kasper Ruud in particular, whenever he got him stretched on that backhand corner in his first match, I thought was particularly impressive and wore Ruud down. There were a couple times when Ruud would come up with magic on the run forehands. But, yeah, I mean – Djokovic is your favorite, probably, entering championship weekend, right? I, um, I'm i going to stick with my pre-tournament pick. Novak Zero. looks great. No, it's uh, Medvedev. Ah. Uh, I think the extra speed, and that has a lot to do with just these courts being lightning. Um, I do think the extra speed helps Medvedev. <laughs> the, the major advantage that I think Djokovic can find on the most consistent basis against Daniil is is the ability to create instant offense, easy offense, yeah. whether that be mid-rally, whether that be on the plus one, on the forehand. And when the courts slow down, Medvedev's ability to do that is is really suspect. It's mm-hmm. not just it's not just that he doesn't uh you know come up with the winners and force the errors. He also misses because he he goes for too much. We saw that in Paris when when the break occurred in the third set. That's missed forehands because Medvedev has is having trouble creating. Um, and that's the common theme. But when the courts are super quick, I don't think Daniil has that issue anymore. Um, the the ball gets through the court easy enough that Daniil's forehand actually can hit through the defenses of anyone. I think that's a major difference. And then you look at the serve. We've seen some matches in Medvedev and Djokovic's rivalry particularly that Cincinnati 2019, where uh, the serve has been good enough uh, that that it single-handedly won the match for Medvedev. Well, we're going to need a a quick court like Cincinnati if that's going to happen. And I think that's another thing where when the court speeds up, speeds up, it tilts the head-to-head to to Medvedev. In generally, in generally, I really do like (laughs) Djokovic's uh, kind of outlook against Medvedev for the most part. I think that there are paths to victory for him, but on the on the 90th percentile of speed when it comes to, to court speed, I do think that helps Medvedev, so I went with him this week. Yeah, I, I, it's a very good case to make, and I'm going to allow you the chance to perhaps revise your prediction at the end. Let's open things up here. There's three, or so, excuse me, three, a tennis show for all of you listeners open-ended question here. So I'm, I'm not going to bias you. I'm not going to make it loaded. I'm going to let you take this podcast wherever you want it to go from here. Outside of those three guys, who has been the most impressive performer in Turin, and why is it Yannick Sinner? <laughs> I was not... I was not impressed with him today. And and Hercotch has been very... I'm going to come across as pretty negative here, but this is this is how I feel. You know I always keep it... I keep it 100. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, real. I don't know. Uh, 
the the field has not been good here. Um, Hercotch, I, I think something's up. Uh, emotionally flat today. Uh, the center match, uh, I will admit, I watched portions of it, and I don't have a good handle on what happened there. I know it was a drubbing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also saw Hercotch's first match against Medvedev. I think that they're there something doesn't look right he skipped practice after the the center match mm-hmm. uh which was which was a little bit suspect yannick should have won today i mean daniel was not there and he handed back the break uh he he should have taken advantage of that casper rude has been impressive in in some ways i think he would probably be my answer to that question with his win over cam nori but then again it, it's it's Cam Nori on a lightning quick court. I, I respect that win a lot, but it's not. We're talking about the year-end championships here. Yeah. It's not that elite win that you have the chance to get when you come to this event. So that's a tough question for me because it's it's not Rublev beating an, an injured Tsitsipas and getting crushed by Djokovic. Uh, it, I'm struggling for an answer here. The no, field has not been good. Yeah, first of all, we keep appreciate you keeping it 100. That's all we ask for. Um, yeah, it's it is a tough end. You know, that's why we start with those three because they have been that much better than everyone else. And to your Hubi point, I actually thought he played really well against Medvedev in that first match. And when he had that sort of result, I offered a take a couple of weeks ago where I thought, you know, actually Hubi gets into this field. He's your dark horse pick because the better the competition, the quicker the courts, the better the Hubi. Um, he was unfortunately, mine. He was mine. Yeah, and unfortunately, he just. You know, again, has not – a little injury or just whatever it may be, he did not play his best tennis here this week. And, you know, still I thought a good experience for him and obviously the the, the feather in the cap of what has been a breakout 2021 campaign. At the same time, like you're right, that the answer probably is Casper Ruud just given the circumstances of that Andre Rublev win, although I thought he looked pretty good. There were times when he was blasting the forehand on his front foot playing better tennis. I think outside of the those top three, he's hit the highest level perhaps. Um, but, I mean, the Sin Man, when he opens up on an inside-out forehand, oh, is it a thing of beauty? And I actually think he's developed a signature shot now, and it's that on-the-run forehand short-angle cross-court passing shot where it's just like, hey, if he gets his racket on it, he's making it, and he's hitting it by you. And that's just like indicative of, again, the sneaky length, sneaky quickness, great anticipation, and just once-in-a-generation sort of contact point and firepower. If he gets his, his paws on it, you know, look out if you're the opponent. What I love so much about Yannick Sinner is just the way he competed and the way why he's the answer to this question for me is he embraced the atmosphere exactly as a 20-year-old should where you're playing with house money and there's nothing to lose here. And the happiest man after today's play is Greg Rosinski, Greg Rosinski who's just like, yes, I'm still the only alternate to go 2-0 and in my first two matches at the year-end finals. It's not me and Yannick Sinner because then no one would talk about me. So a little fist pump from Greg on his couch at home. But like... Sinner belong. To your point about no one playing particularly well, that is why the fact that Yannick Sinner looked just as good as a Kasparu, just as good as an Andre Rublev, just as good as anyone other than the first three guys we discussed, that's why as we look towards 2022, I'm, you know, again, the next iteration of the big four, is it Medvedev, Zverev, Sinner, and Alcaraz? Like, are we at that point now? Or obviously Tsitsipas is still right there when healthy, but like, you're right. Out, no one has particularly stood out, 
and I know there's a lot of injuries and a lot of fatigue, and we started out this podcast by saying it's 16 straight months of tennis. At the same time, that's why I go with Sinner because he is the most energized and his level, he's he's looked like he belongs, and that's been the theme of his season. I agree with you that this could be a transformative experience for him. Sure. Because the way he's engaging the crowd and using the emotion and the energy as a weapon, it's just undoubtable. I, I got to cross over to the WTA side here, and you think about Garbine Muguruza's title mm-hmm. run. How imperative was just the spirit on the court Yes. And just the just the energy there was was immense on her side of the net with the crowd and the way she was enjoying herself on the tennis court and it let it lent itself to a confidence. You know, Yannick understanding how to get a crowd behind him, how to interact and engage with the crowd. That's just part of this thing. That's part of this professional tennis thing. That didn't matter when when Sinner was training with with Piatti as a 16-year-old getting beat up on the Futures Tour instead of playing juniors when when nobody was watching. That wasn't a part of this thing. Now it's a part of Sinner's career. He's getting booked on stadiums. There's no outer courts anymore. This is an area where I've always been a little bit regretful or or I guess I've always wanted more out of Kane Ishikori. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered if that could help him. Play with some emotion. Get some adrenaline going. Get the crowd on your side. He's never been that guy. He's never been that player. That's okay, I suppose. But I genuinely wonder if he's left wins on the table because of it. And to see Yannick flip that switch this week, I agree. That's This is the kind of experience that can propel him forward. And, and just on the theme of him getting better, I tweeted today, that there's no one who I'm more excited to watch than him first week of January when it's ATP Cup, I believe. Okay. There's no schedule, as Riley Opelka uh, will point out, that there's no schedule. But I want you to know David made that exact same joke. So I, I see a little smirk <laughs> on your face right now. Just know that he said the same thing, but go on. And that's why, That's why. yeah, you didn't laugh at all. So <laughs> I'm glad because I'm I thought maybe it was me. No, no, I thought no, maybe no, no. it was me. No, it's not you. I I used my laugh earlier. That's my bad. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's okay. Uh, I'm so excited to watch Center because he improves so so quickly, and he makes so many adjustments. I haven't seen a player change their serve as drastically as he did midseason in a very long time. It just makes me excited for what we're gonna what we're gonna see out of him at the start of 2022. Yeah, something we've discussed before when we've talked about Yannick Sinner, he continues to get better in every aspect of the game, closing in as a top 25 uh, server and, you know, already a guy top 15, top 20 in break percentage. You're right, the because the game continues to get better, he's a freaking good volleyer. That's the crazy part now, and it's so early in his career. And so is Alcaraz, by the way. Oh, my God. Like, that Carlos Alcaraz can volley this well also— Oh boy, he's on the list now. He's one of the six locks to win a Grand Slam in the 2020s. But the thing that Cinder hadn't had yet, and you could always see the silent fire and the composure and the competitiveness, but now it's a little more outward. And he is working on getting the crowd behind him and embracing that crowd and channeling that energy into his performance. And I mean, man, if that's if that piece enters into the equation as well, 
it's not a question of his tennis game. Like, that's not the issue. And so I agree with you. Like, he is on the short list. That, by the way, most exciting players to watch in 2022 is a December podcast. We will either do together or separately, I am sure. Um, I got to pick which December pods are bad. We'll, we'll figure out that schedule moving forward. But you're right. Sinner's on that short list. I guess. So here's my list right now. And then, you know, we'll rapid fire through the last few guys before I let you go. Medvedev obviously has already won the Grand Slam, so he has he's on the list, but he's already checkmark one. Zverev, Tsitsipas, Sinner, Alcaraz, and I still have Felix on that list. I know that's my ad that a lot of people disagree with. Those are my six locks, like slams, 2020s, after this season, I feel that much more confident in that list. Where are you? If you had to put uh, together your list, locks to win slams in the 2020s. I definitely agree with the guys who have already been close, and I think they will seal the deal. I think uh, uh, Pass at a certain point, Zverev, certainly. Um, Sinner, yeah. Um, Alcaraz, I'm even more sh- I'm more sure about him than than anyone in a in a long time. So are you team I mean, Carlos or team Yannick? I'm I team mean, Carlos. I, I know we're you team can... both, but you're team Carlos. Wow. Yes, I'm team Carlos. I'm very, I'm very confident about it. I made a video about it. Gil- YouTube.com backslash Gil Gross. Uh, <laughs> and, and you can find that. Uh, yeah, dude. Genetic lottery athleticism. Yeah. Something Roger Federer had. Something Rafael Nadal had. Something, I'm just going to use the past tense. Something Novak Djokovic had. Something, by the way, you got to add Andy Murray had. In all their different ways, can't teach that. And they had every shot, and they had great mental. Carlos has every shot. Carlos has a great mental. But but what's the difference to me between Sinner and Alcaraz? You can't teach the athleticism that Carlos has. Yannick has amazing ball striking, generational ball striking. And and one of the things that he was doing uh, against Medvedev that – was blowing my mind super nerdy here yeah. but he can take a backhand from behind the baseline neutral mm-hmm. and actually create offense against a mover like daniel medvedev on hardcore so rare mm-hmm. I, so few players can do that on their backhand side mm-hmm. uh, so look yannick has all those things i think carlos has that plus this level of genetic lottery that you just don't see um and that's why you know that's that's why he's my choice here. Uh, he's the best prospect. Let's face it. When Novak Djokovic was a prospect, and he was swinging a Wilson racket and wearing Adidas, mm-hmm. um, I probably wasn't forming in- intelligent tennis takes. Yeah. Um, I would argue so I w- still don't. But go on. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, I've never been more excited about a, a prospect or more bullish on a prospect in my lifetime than I am right now on Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, you're too. You, you missed the Kozlov craze. Don't worry, you'll get it next <laughs> year. Um, I mean, that's my guy to answer that question. Where I still like, and I said coming into this year, this is my last season, and then he does this at the end of the year, and like it's ruined. What does that me. mean? That's oh. your guy. Your guy to do what? Oh, from the beginning, to be the first to rise American men's tennis out of the Grand Slam drought. Just, if I had a podcast in 2011, it would have been exclusively Stefan Kozlov and Alex Damajan takes. Like, that's it. And by the way, ask any college coach, Alex Damajan, if he doesn't go to college that freshman year, if he just walks onto the Pro Tour, he he cracks the top 100. Ask Tony Bresky, who said... 
exact quote to Virginia head coach Brian Boland at the time. Why is he coming to school? Like, what? What? How did we get him? Um, what, what happened to him? You got to finish. He just story. stayed in college, and he was like, eh, "I'm good that with tennis." It. He just kind of burned out. He was just like, eh, "I'm good on tennis. I want to go get a real world job." Um, and so credit to him. But he Respect. was the original six seven OG on top. Oh my god! I'm going to send you some highlights after this. Just trust me. <laughs> um, but anyways, all of that is to say, I don't even know where we were. Oh, Carlitos. Um, You're right. From a fluidity standpoint, from a feel standpoint, the angles, the drop shots, the craft, and just the sliding out of the corner, he probably does have an edge on Yannick Sinner. But I used to doubt Sinner's movement as a 17-year-old. I thought he was a little stiff. I thought the hips did lie, and that's just not the case anymore. It's a Tsitsipas sort of athlete where it's just like give him till 21, 22, 23 when he can grow into that fit frame, when there's actually muscle on his quads and just – like with that contact point and his ability to find that gear from the baseline, not only just you know when he's on his front foot, but when he's, as you mentioned, on, on the defensive as well and hitting out of corners as well. I think his pace for out of corners is actually routinely better than Carlos is right now. Now, go watch the next-gen finals. One, he, he's down 1-0, 0-1, deuce point, second set. He hits a backhand out of the corner to fight off a deuce point and win the game against Sebastian Corda. Where if that's the ball Alcaraz is hitting now out of backhand corners, we're all f***ed. Like, it's just over. <laughs> like, everyone loses. He is going to win every Grand Slam because that backhand wing is the one that will sit a little bit short on him. And then, obviously, the second serve mm-hmm. sits a little bit short on him. But guess what? You can say that about everyone. Now, why I give Sinner the edge I just think he is going to be a better server. I've seen the progress from him already in these first 15 months of being a top 15 player. I like his. I think I like the serve a little better. I like the gear he hits from the baseline a little bit better. I agree. The fluidity for Carlos, you can't fake that. But I, I just think Sinner is the surest of sure things. Like I, even if he doesn't progress athletically. The serve will get better, and he's a good enough athlete that just I, – I like the weapons for him. I just like the game plan for him a little bit better. Yeah, it's funny on the serve because, first of all, we – and I, I know we're on the same page here. You look at a young guy whose weakness is the serve. That's the best thing that could happen to said young guy yeah. uh, because that's the shot that gets better throughout a career. That's the shot that Djokovic couldn't hit for his life and, and really neither could Nadal. Of course, uh, exaggerating there. <laughs> but, you know, Alcaraz, have you looked at the the radar gun with him? For a guy, and, and he can't hit a spot at all right now, and that's what needs to get better. But for a guy who is winning as low a percentage on his first serve as he is and getting very few free points on his first serve, it's just not, it's just not working. It's not very effective. He does have the speed behind it sinner's motion to me right now it looks like it lacks explosion it 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 just lacks some pop um now i also agree with you i think it's going to get better but i see alcaraz and sinner kind of in the same place they're both going to get a lot better at hitting their spots sinner physically has the height um a couple of inches there that'll help him but i think alcaraz has a live arm and just looks more explosive when he serves yeah, it, the best quote, this is a random side note, but we're doing this Power 5 series where we're interviewing all the Power 5 coaches, and one of them said to me on Brooksby serve, they go, yeah, and this was off the record, so the coach is going to remain nameless, but they go, <coughs> excuse me, yeah, uh, you know, Andy Roddick was 
on Tennis Channel saying, man, if I give me four days with Jensen Brooksby and I'll fix his serve. And this unnamed coach goes, yeah, give me two. And it was just very, very funny. It's like, trust me. Like, I agree. It's like to, to our point because I share it with you. The serve is the most improvable thing of any young player. It's a million reps away. It's literally the Gladwell rule. Just trust me. Give them more repetitions, you know, the 10,000 hours, 10,000 ball, whatever it may be, and the serve gets there. I don't see a fundamental flaw in either Sinner or Alcaraz, and I disagree with you. Like, I, I think there's plenty of explosion in the Yannick Sinner serve, and I actually like the depth on his serve. I don't know if that's a thing, but the depth on his that's serve. That's a thing. Yeah, better than I like Alcaraz's. I think Sinner is is ahead uh, of Alcaraz right now. I mean, I, I agree there, but um, just in terms of like live arm explosion out of the legs, uh, th- things like that. Yeah. Um, with Brooksby, by the way, I, I want to say I'd be kind of pissed if I were him. Yeah, just because he's like, I'm not bad. He's like, my serve's fine. Well, no, like I, I think he knows what his serve is. Yeah, and it's a it's a strange little shot because it's hard to attack, <laughs> but it also doesn't really get him anywhere. Uh, but I don't know for 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 people that I love Andy Roddick by the way, and if I were Jensen Brooksby, I'd have a lot of trouble getting mad at Andy Roddick. Yeah. Um, uh, for people to say I, I just need four days, it's almost like, what do you think? I are, are my coaches bums? Am I not trying hard enough? <laughs> no, like, well, what first do you think's all, going on? I here? know Joe Gilbert; he absolutely is a bum, but not for this reason. Um, but no, to I would be like – then Andy on the phone, he'd be like, no, 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 that's a compliment. It's like you're so good at everything else. Give me four days of just teaching you the Andy Roddick mindset and you'll be hitting 130 bombs because you have it in you. I think that would be how they spin it at the same time. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, man, when was the last time you beat Novak Djokovic 6-1 in a set? <laughs> oh, you didn't? Oh, that's cute. I did. Like I almost freaking beat him in New York and I'm like nine. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I I agree with you there. It's it's a tough beat uh, for him. But again, Sinner, Alcaraz joining that list. I mean, they have been so good down the home stretch. Sinner, to me, the most second most impressive guy outside of those key three we started talking about. We did Hercots. Uh, obviously, again, good finish for the season for him. I think we saw this year was real, really good for Nori to get the experience as well. I'm curious. Can, can I, I give Craig Boynton uh, an agenda? Please, if uh, from from my from my seat with less knowledge than Craig Boynton, yeah, exactly. Um, CB, give it to him. Uh, I just want I just want forehand, 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 yeah. forehand, forehand. That that shot really holds him back, in, in my opinion. Watching his matches, I I think everything in his game is so far ahead of where his forehand is at. I think it's such an average shot um, from the back of the court, and it. it to me, when he loses, I'm I'm looking at the games where his serve is broken. I'm looking at the games where things are going wrong, and that is the common denominator. I've never seen someone be 12 feet behind the baseline and then immediately at the net as much as Hubie Hurkacz. Like, it's two speeds. He's either 12 feet back or he is chipping charging, and it's just like— the, it's the middle stuff. It's it's the middle third where it's just like – and I'm not saying – the backhand is his feel on that side, his ability to absorb redirect pace, very, very good. But you're right. The forehand can be pressured by pace, and it's just that's the missing component because when he's on his front foot, he can hit it extraordinarily well. It's about finding that three-quarters ball in the rally so he can be – you know, four feet off the baseline instead of nine feet off the baseline. And that transition from, you know, baseline to net isn't so daunting as it seems to be every point. 
At the same time, again, it's the epitome of your modern tennis player. Like, from a physical standpoint, from the tool standpoint, Hubie Hurkacz can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, it is it is the epitome of the modern tennis player. However, if we get if we zoom out way far back, one of the modern innovations is violent racket speed. Yeah. Look at a guy like Berrettini, a guy like not Rublev. Who... And, and Hubie's forehand, he swings slow. And... I'd be fine with that if it was if the result was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But I again, I, and I think you you put it pretty well. I love net rushing Hubie. Yeah. I think net rushing Hubie is a nightmare to play against. But baseline Hubie right now is not. And I think you know the backhand is so excellent. If the forehand was more formidable, baseline Hubie would be just as tough as net rushing Hubie because the movement is also so good. Do you think there are more ferocious forehands hit than bashful backhands? Like, it's always one of the, like, I'm trying to think which I would prefer to hit. Or what's the term? That's not even a question. Yeah. That can be statistically, yeah, that can be statistically answered. It's the, the forehand. Forehands. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, uh, it's just from a commentating standpoint, though, what is said more frequently? Oh, such a forceful forehand down the <laughs> line. Or just like, oh, we bashed that backhand. A uh, I think, backhand. I think backhands get more love yeah. uh for some reason maybe because it's just i don't know i guess it's it's kind of rare but if you look at a guy like djokovic or zverev or medvedev uh you know great backhands um they're still causing way more damage on their forehand yeah no totally fair and so again with all that said I'm going to save Nori and Rude breakdowns for when we get to the Ultimate Award show and we've done Most Improved, and so I know your thoughts on them. Obviously, what we've proved for Casper Rude, it's all legit. It's all real. This run proves that all season long. Again, quarterfinals in Paris, in uh, Cincinnati, in Canada. He's obviously all the success at the 250 level. He's the real deal. But the last guy I want to talk about just quickly here to end, Andre Rublev. You feel better about him or worse after the 2020 season, uh, 2021 season? worse um i i never really worried about his fitness before this year mm-hmm. i i thought the the success in the best of five format was just a matter of time and i didn't really understand i guess what was going on and as this year has worn on um i guess two things have come to the forefront one the fact that he can be worn down physically uh, and that he does get tired, and and he's got to somehow find a work around that. And the second thing, his intense fighting spirit, his unbelievable competitiveness, I have throughout his career regarded as a massive strength of his. But then when things aren't going right, particularly lately, it seems like it's kind of boomeranged on him and become a negative because he's so hard on himself. He gets a little bit negative, you know, fairly quickly. And I kind of want him to almost calm down on the court and be a little bit more sure of himself. So both mentally and physically, I now have certain question marks where heading into this year, I thought, oh, this guy's dynamite. He doesn't have, there are certain auxiliary shots, volleys, drop shots, backhand slice. He doesn't have those shots, but you and I both agreed. Mm-hmm. Eh, you can be good without those <laughs> if you have what Andre Rublev has. Mm-hmm. Like, if that was the main concern, 
then I felt pretty good. But, you know, physical endurance, um, confidence, belief, these are deeper rooted problems that have emerged this year. Uh, overall, so so yes, I, I, I think lesser of him. With that being said, was still in the final eight yeah. when, when it was all said and done. And it's really hard to it's really hard to hate when when you pull that off that and you're at Andre Rublev's level, you know, what were the expectations here? Not that he was gonna go win a major, not that he was gonna go win masters, but that he was gonna be holding his own at the top of the sport. He kind of did that. Uh, he just didn't have the signature wins that I think that we uh, thought he would have. And I think that's the thing is I, I would say it's a hold after 2021. You don't think any higher of his ceiling. Uh, certainly, you know, the playbook is out. If you watch an Andre Rublev match, how for, you know how many licks does it take to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop? How many times does it take, shots does it take to find the Andre Rublev backhand? That's the question for every opponent in every match he plays. At the same time, his backhand has gotten better. His slice has gotten better. He's improving as a volleyer. I still would not describe him as a good volleyer. I would describe him as a competent volleyer now, and you certainly wouldn't have said that early in his career. The first serve percentage is always going to be what he wrestles with. When it's over 65%, he's going to look like a top five player in the world. When it's under that number, that's when things begin to struggle a little bit more. His movement's way better. Uh, you know, again, much like Yannick yeah. Sinner, I thought he was a little stiff when he was 16, 17, 18 years old. That's not the case anymore. Movement's not an issue. At the same time, it's still one speed. And it's just like, you know, Yannick Sinner's almost taken his corner where it's just like, oh, my forehand's just like yours, but I'm more fluid on that backhand wing. And it's just, you know, again, Sinner is Rublev 2.0 where it's just everything's a little bit more polished, a little bit more fluid. I would say to hold for Rublev and that that hold is a top 10 number, that's a good place to be when you're 24 years old. But it's definitely a hold. I like you. you de- I didn't see anything flashing a next level for Andre Rublev. And obviously, if he stays at this level, that's a damn good career. You, you trade top 10, couple year-end finals, mass, uh, you know, 500 titles, all these things for anything. But you're right. I, I didn't see an advancement in 2021. Everything was polished, but nothing progressed you know nothing jumped a full level this season yeah that's exactly right i'm trying to see on the uh first serve percentage for andre yeah yeah because because you didn't you didn't say that it was a weakness but i've just never i've never checked you just said that when it's bad he loses and he's he's generally speaking not bad he's right around where like Djokovic. And and Titi Passar, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So There's I like have I was gonna say, well, Andre Rublev just straight up first serve percentage. Yeah, straight up first serve percentage amongst top fifty players. Andre Rublev ranks. Let's see here, eight, ten, thirty ninth, thirty ninth amongst top fifty players. Hmm. It's not great. What am I looking at right now? Uh, you're probably looking uh, at I, tennis I, abstract whatever, whatever as opposed to tennis abstract. Um, yeah, no, you do not have 2021. Do you have last 52? I've got 2021. And again, I've, you know, I've always got the tab ready. Yeah, I have, I have last 52. Yeah. So that's the difference is you look for him this season again, 39th. It, it's interesting to see the guys he's surrounding. Guess it. Listen to this. 38th, Alex Diemenauer, 40th, Yannick Sinner. Come on now. Like again, there's the comp for you. Um, no, I I do think that's the number for Andre Rublev. Again, that first serve percentage, and you look for him this season, sixty point four percent. By the way, is actually kind of a career high for him in terms of his relevant ATP seasons. At the same time, that's just not going to get the job done. Like that number has to be higher. 
for him moving forward to make that next jump. The good news is that's a low-hanging fruit. Yeah, that's true. And the serve's getting better. The second serve, by the way, needs to get better Mm -hmm. uh, because the second serve gets attacked. And he's not Andy Murray. He's not good enough defensively to recover from that. So that is is another – that's been a weakness his whole career. And I think that's another common thread. When he loses, it's generally because someone took advantage of his second serve uh, very, very effectively. I think you're spot on, though, about Yannick Sinner. Uh, it, it would be hard to, to think of an area where long-term Rublev projects to have any advantage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that is striking, though, I think – is when he runs up against a guy like Djokovic mm-hmm. or Medvedev or Zverev. Mm-hmm. Those three that we talk about, pace, yeah. okay. Pace pace doesn't beat those guys. It yeah. just doesn't. Like you're going to need to bring something else to the table because you can hit it hard at them and they're going to be like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I like, again, not to, we've you can tell I'm harping on this, but for two guys in particular, Medvedev and Zverev, when they see a Yannick Sinner forehand to their backhand wing, you're so right. They're like, oh, yes. Like, literally, you can see in Alex Zverev's eyes when he plays Yannick Sinner, he's like, this is going to be a great day for my strike zone. Versus, like, the <laughs> Daniil Medvedev match where he's hunched over the entire time, and he's like, man, this sucks. Like, you're absolutely right. That is the fascinating little sub-wrinkle there. And by the way, I think it applies to Carlos Alcaraz as well. Like, he wants to hit that inside-out forehand. We saw in Vienna. It did not work against Zverev. And, like, that is a wrinkle for him moving forward. That, like, how does he adjust with that play? And he'll be fine. But you're right. That is... That's what makes it even that much more fascinating because it's like the pace of Sinner and Alcaraz will overwhelm 98% of players except for the two six foot six giants they have to get through probably to win their first grand slam and it's like it's 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 oh he doesn't count yeah you're right that's another plane and it's just like it's fascinating it's fascinating it is yeah you got to bring angles you got to bring alcaraz has the drop shot going for him you got to bring net play you got to serve um you probably need to slice and, and bring those guys inside the court um at times so yeah it it's um they ask a lot. You know, that that's what they make a living on. Yeah, no doubt about that. And clearly we're filibustering here. I'm trying to go as long as Kevin McCarthy's speech right now on the House floor. That's a real news update for you that maybe went over your head. But you'll see it on yeah, the that, Twitter sphere. That, that's not on cable. Who is your – who is the follow in that you follow that people would be most surprised to find out? This will be our last question then I'll let you go because I've kept you way over time here. Are you that's willing hilarious. to admit it or no? Uh, well, no. I mean – no one popped in my head immediately, so I don't have like a. I guess that means I don't have like a. No yeah. one. No one. Like, yeah, a a follow, yeah, like who I I would never like their tweet. Yeah, like a like a Clay Travis. Like, do you follow Clay Travis? I don't. Okay. No. Yeah. Neither do I. Um. Um. I. Who the heck would the? I mean. I don't think I have anything juicy for you. Yeah, I'm trying to think what's like the one that people would be most surprised to hear that I've – the thing is I don't think anyone would be surprised because the people who know me are like, yeah, they, you spew it every 10 seconds when we're not on the mic. Um, I mean I'm trying to think. Who is the most – I mean the, the most progressive member of the caucus I follow. I'm <laughs> like that people would be surprised. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to surprise anyone. That Oh, I mean – Josh Krashauser, National Journal, fantastic writer. Don't always agree with what he says, but fantastic writer. And so that's probably – well, but I don't even think that's that shocking. I used to hate follow Hugh Hewitt. 
but like that that was not good for my health um <laughs> look at my eyes you know the one i'm counting about that's the one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're back there we're full circle so yeah with all of that said give me the plugs don't listen to David Kane's analysis there. Listen to ours. But, of course, you can listen to that as well on Monday Match Analysis. What else do you have coming up? Coming up, three, a tennis show as Djokovic uh, makes his way through Turin. Uh, that is on YouTube. That is on podcast platforms along with Monday Match Analysis. Um, and um, Twitter, at Gil underscore Gross. And where I don't follow anyone embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, well, except for me. Uh, and three, a tennis show coming soon to a theater near you. I already teased that. Do you listen? Yeah, three. No. You, no, no, no. Not three. Oh, not, not three. Oh, oh yes, See? Yes, oh, you're yes, already yes, yes. confused. Not three. Three? Three? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a fun intro. Yeah. And By the way, I'm scrolling through the people I'm following right now. Oh, yeah? Anyone pop out where you're like, ooh, you're like Owen. You know what? I'll tell you what. When I've done games at at Syracuse um, as a a play-by-play person, I've followed some really obscure accounts. Yeah. And and (laughs) occasionally I see it and I'm like, well – I'm sorry, Buffalo women's water polo, <laughs> but it's time to unfollow you. <laughs> That's good. How about this? Best follower, someone that follows you that you're like, I can't believe this human follows me because I've got two on my list. Howard Bryant. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Um, I but a he's tennis, a tennis fan. Tennis that's special. The, that's the thing is, that, is that's why it's okay. not that shocking because like Brian Koppelman follows me, but he's a big tennis guy. So like okay. I appreciate that. I just I'm a I'm a big fan of I've read his books and stuff. Mm. Um, who else follows me? That's cool, um, man. You ready for these two? You, you go, you go. Guitarist for Maroon Five, the guy with the long <laughs> hair, James Valentine or something like that. Just I guess he loves him some college tennis because um, you'll see a James Valentine like on the occasional college tennis post, and I'm like, wow. ha! Um, so that would be one. And then I'm not going to say the congressperson, but there is a congressperson who follows me and like, lol. Um, it's just very, very funny. I think it's because I met them at the City Open and like there was a brief interaction. And they're like, oh, you follow tennis? I love tennis. Um, and so those would be my two. Yeah, I don't have cool followers outside of tennis really, I don't think. It's because you're so mainstream. James Valentine's like, baby, I'm praying on you tonight. So, so let, me, let me give you an exclusive here. Okay. Do we have a sound? Do you have a sound effect for that? Uh, yep. Hold on. <laughs> okay. During tennis off season, on my Twitter account, I am going to tweet a daily food take, one a day. Oh. Okay. I want to do this with you. I'm sorry to steal your bit right away. I'm not going to do a food take, but I want to do a sarcastic tennis tweet. Like, I really, we've talked about this before, but I want to do the, ooh, down 15 love could be big. Like, just all, something like that every day. Or like, hey, you know what match was really good that no one talks about? The 2011 Australian Open final. Or just like, stuff like that that I really hope people would get as a joke. The problem is, no one would freaking get it. Um, So, food takes a good one. I'm in. I'm in. I like it, Gil. That wasn't exclusive, by the way. That's good stuff. Yeah, I haven't told anyone that. 
Yeah, okay. Well, don't worry. It's buried in hour 24. I don't think anyone's going to hear it either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But with that said, Monday match analysis, three a tennis show, three a tennis show, and so much more. Gil Gross, thank you as always for taking the time to chat. Thanks, Kraski. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Monday Match Analysis show host 3, a tennis show host, and my friend Gil Gross. A thank you to him for dealing with my nonsense as frequently as he does and taking the time to appear on this show as frequently as he does as well. Of course, you can catch all of his work on YouTube, on your various podcast platforms as well. Uh, be sure to do so because, in my opinion, some of the best work, if, you know, outside of our Crack Rackets realm in the business. Speaking of that Crack Rackets content, though, I mentioned at the top, college content carries on. You can hear our team breakdowns on the GSP. You can read about all of these teams on our website. You can hear from their head coaches on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, we'll be doing one men's and women's team a week now for the next eight weeks. So, you know, again, be ready. Lots of off-season content. We're ready to rock and roll here as the tennis calendar in 2021 reaches its conclusion. Of course, if you've missed any of that tennis unfolding, though, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, view to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Correct Interviews Podcast, and our CR YouTube channel so that you don't miss out on any of the action. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always ways to our super producers max leader and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com that promo code is cr15 with all of that said for our fantastic guest gil gross super producers fliegner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll see you all tomorrow thanks everyone